One of the, the greatest joys that we have as believers is that we have the privilege, if we will, to get to know that great God. You know, when you get to know someone, pretty soon you get to know their characteristics and their attributes. And so after a while, the very mention of their name brings those characteristics to not only to your mind, but to your heart, because you've been affected by the depth of who they are and their person. I remember, well, I've had this happen many times, but I remember one particular case, someone I knew well, I was asked to write a letter of testimony that would be given at a special occasion they had. And uh, the moment I saw the name and understood the request, uh, just the reality of the things that I appreciated so much about that person just flooded over me. Well, getting to know someone can have a profound effect on us. And being around them can change us. And this is what Moses knew about God. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, we're still in the context here of the giving of the law and the glory that Moses had had in being on the mount with the Lord and even the elders had had fellowship with the Lord there at the base of that mountain. But just days later, they had the horrible debacle of the golden calf breaking the second commandment that they had already agreed to. And they were, had did that in a pagan debauched way, disgracing the name of God. And Moses has that great intercession twice where he's even willing to give up his own eternal destiny if God would preserve the people. And uh, he had even been given the opportunity to be the leader of a new nation. And he would not take that because he wanted God's glory to be seen. A tremendous testimony given of this man. And we see here in Exodus 33 after judgment was executed and and all, we see the heart of uh, Moses, and we read in verse 12, And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee that I might, may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. You see, Moses did not want to live without the presence of God. I asked the question at the beginning of the service, what do you have to have? If Moses was to answer that question, he would have said, I have to have the presence of God. He was very earnest to see the Lord. If you go back to the earlier part of the uh, chapter, after uh, God had given directions to Moses, we read in verse 7, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. 
And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Isn't that amazing? And he turned again unto the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Let me just make a note there. There's a reason why Joshua was the successor to Moses. He also could not live without the presence of God. It's very interesting that this tabernacle, this tent of the congregation, this is not, by the way, the tabernacle that was still to be given in instructions to Moses upon the mount. Uh, this would be constructed later and would be in the very center of the camp, but this was outside the camp. There's some speculation as to why, could be what had happened. Uh, but um, some uh, commentators think that Moses regularly went, to, and this occurred where the people saw him with the cloudy pillar there. Others take it that this occurred after all of these events and that they were all focused on it because they understood the very serious nature of what had happened. That's probably the case, but it maybe both are true in this regard. But one thing we do know is that Moses was regularly in the presence of God. Godly Christian General Havelock rose at four if the hour for marching was six, rather than lose the precious privilege of communion with God before setting out. How important is it that you have the presence of God? Robert Murray McShane said, I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or meet with others early, it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret prayer. This is a wretched system. <laughs> it is unscriptural. Christ arose before day and went into a solitary place. Robert Murray McShane, beloved man of God. He embounds the great writer on Prayer. The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway. He goes on to say in another place, if God is not first in our thoughts and, and efforts in the morning, he will be in the last place the remainder of the day. And so Moses met with God and spoke to him as a man speaketh to his friends. And because of that, what I read first here was that he was convinced that it was worthless to go into the land. It was worthless even though God had promised to deliver. It was worthless even though God said, I'll send an angel with you. If God's presence was not with Israel, Moses wasn't going. Because life wasn't worth living without having that relationship with God. Now, folks, this is really crucial. There's no accident why Moses was used, Joshua was used as he was, David and Daniel and many others. 
These were men who were absolutely focused on developing a real and personal, vibrant, intimate relationship with God. And so he knew that God's purposes could not be accomplished uh, without um, being with the Lord, having the grace of God. They were powerless without the Lord. And not only did he know they needed the presence of the Lord and he sought the Lord regularly, but he was burdened to see God's glory. Folks, the world, as it's constructed by Satan, tries to act glorious. Uh, it, uh, I mean, you saw, I didn't see it, but the pageantry of, uh, of what happened in England with uh, the queen and then the king. And, uh, you know, there's, and then you have the glamour of the entertainment world and you have the glamour of uh, the political world and all of these things. If you've ever been to a big presidential rally, I mean, those things are worked up. Uh, it's amazing. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, of man's glory in those kind of situations. And we often are intimidated by that. But when you see God's glory, everything else fades. It's really cheap. I mean, you know, we can get thrilled with human things. I even, I am, well, I shouldn't say this. This is something I've got to be careful about. But I'm not first and foremost a Packer fan. Okay, I'm not opposed to them. I live in Wisconsin. Uh, but uh, I won't tell you how sorry a group of people I sometimes cheer for. But anyway, uh, but we were at Lambeau Field. And if you've taken that tour, near the end of the tour, what they'll do is they show you the locker room. You don't go in it, but you see where it's at. And then they turn on a recording of what it's like coming out of that tunnel into Lambeau Field. And here I am, not even a Packer fan, and it's all just recorded and you get tingles up and down your spine. You're thinking, what is wrong with me? You know, this is ridiculous. And of course, all the Packer fans are crying, you know, as they're going through the tunnel. I mean, they're just having an experience of a lifetime and getting onto that empty field and seeing the empty uh, stands and so forth. But, you know, there's just all this glory. And it fades. Uh, the game is over. The concert's over. The political event is over. Life goes quickly. But for believers, they can really get caught up unless you regularly experience the glory of God. Then you see it for what it really is. Some of those things have their place, but they should not be first. And so Moses uh, was very much wanting God's glory. If you go back to the latter part of chapter 33 here, when he says, uh, he says in verse 15, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with, with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So much could be said about all this. And Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. 
And he, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now, folks, what an amazing thing. Do you see how personal this is? The Lord said, I will answer your prayer. I will make my goodness pass before thee. I will uh, proclaim my name. I will be gracious to you, and I will let you see part of my glory. Well, folks, we live in the New Testament period. We have the glory in us. And yet we do not have this same passion And it's very interesting, I do want to note this here, that when we, as I was saying, the glamour of the world can be so strong. But he said in verse 16, uh, if you'll go with us, then all the people that are on the face of the earth shall know that we're your people. What marks a believer is the glory of God. And will be separated from all the world. You know, it's interesting. A Christian who has the heart for God, and that's something they can't live without, and they are fellowshipping with God. They, are, they don't realize it, but they're shining forth the glory of God. And they have a heart that is changed because they see the world and Satan for who he is, and they are separated from. They are no longer part of this world system. They're not living merged into it. Therefore, their life is a glorious testimony of the grace of God. I'm telling you, folks, people that really spend time with God don't live in the world in the sense of being part of the world's culture. I remember how back in the late 60s, of course, rock music was just inundating everything and it had a powerful draw because that hadn't been around as I know it's hard to believe but it hadn't been around in that kind of uh, way before and I remember all of our youth group was overwhelmed by it thankfully I had safeguards with my home but even there uh, but going to a public school and all it was every direction but I remember when I started meeting with the Lord after I got right with the Lord at 15 And there were some moments that God uh, came down, heaven came down, and glory filled my heart. And you know what? That music, I didn't care about it anymore. All of a sudden, its attraction and its newfound popularity uh, didn't at all rank up to meeting with God. And it's amazing what, what happens. You see, the men... Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Peter, James, John, Stephen, Paul, we could go on and on. Those that knew their God were not part of this world system. And frankly, folks, one of the reasons that evangelicalism in America is in such trouble is they're trying to combine the world's culture and Bible Christianity, and you can't do it. And it screams out that the glory of God is missing. We're living our life and adding Christianity to it. So just interesting 
God wants to change us. As 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You look at the end of chapter 34, and when Moses came off the mount, the glory of the Lord was so evident that people couldn't handle it. And though we don't have the brightness physically that can be seen of the glory of God, when Christians are being transformed and walking with the Lord, it begins to be evident to those that are around how much we need that greatly encouraged by the testimonies that I heard of just there was something different here this morning. That was Jesus. That's his glory. And uh, so it's Paul, um, excuse me, Moses just did not want to live, go do anything without the presence of God. And then we go to uh, chapter 34, and we're just going to look at this here quickly. But, uh, well, let's just start with verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. The I am is what he was saying. Now he kept his promise there up in the mount. The glory of the Lord came down. And I want you to notice how personal this is. The Lord descended and stood with him there. Now, it wasn't uh, the form of a person. We don't understand fully what it was. But in his, it was a full personal manifestation of God. And, and he proclaimed. And I want you to notice who proclaimed God proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the, the Lord passed by before him, and he says again, The Lord, Jehovah, the I Am, the Lord, God. And so he's making it very clear. He is a person. He never changes. He is. I am that I am. Second Corinthians 12, 9, how we need to realize that God will take care of us, and he said unto me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. The personal God wants to reveal himself to us so that we can have his power and his attributes. And you notice he makes it very clear uh, that uh, he is 
his God. He identifies with his people. Now, folks, I want you to get a hold of this. Um, God revealed himself to Moses. God is in you. And you can draw nigh to him, and he will personally draw nigh to you. The God of the universe wants to reveal his spiritual glory in your spirit, and he wants to affect your life on a regular day-by-day and moment-by-moment reality. And folks, we miss this. When people revel in the presence of God and develop that relationship, Nothing else in life compares, but we as God's people today are enamored by that which Satan constructs to get us to love and to depend upon and to live for. And we wonder why spiritual things seem empty and they become routine and they, they do not move us. Listen, for some Christians, the word Jesus will almost bring tears to their eyes, why they're walking with him talk about truth. It moves them. And folks, when there are enough people that are walking with the Savior and the glory of God is there and truth moves them, then there are hundreds of people moved by it. We are the conduits of his presence. We are the ones that should shine forth his glory. That's something we ought not be able to live without. And when he reveals himself to us, let's go back to verse 6. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God. God said this. I mean, that's amazing. Merciful. Aren't you glad he's compassionate? That's what he's saying about himself. Folks, if he wasn't merciful, well, there wouldn't be planet Earth right now. And if he wasn't merciful, you wouldn't be saved today. And if he wasn't merciful, I mean, it'd be tragic. But aren't you glad he is? Have you really gotten what you deserve? No, not at all. You've gotten what Jesus deserves. He paid the price. All the blessings, Jesus deserves those. God has stayed his hand. And even his spankings are good. Ooh, they can be hard, just like my dad's were. (laughs) But they were good. But oh, how compassion. In fact, think of Jesus. He's the one that wept. Do you realize, as all the disciples were coming down the Mount of Olives there on Palm Sunday, and everyone was rejoicing, and everybody's crying out. There's only one person crying. Who was that? Jesus. He was moved deeply with compassion because he knew what was going to happen to those people not many days hence. The Lord has the deepest of feelings for us. The compassion of a mother is... Maybe about as close as we can get from a human standpoint. I remember when my son Wayne went through all of the situations that he went through with his brain tumor. I watched my wife, and there's nothing like a mother's compassion. Now, I was brokenhearted, and I loved on my boy, but I didn't compare to my wife. And Folks, 
If you had a good mother, just thinking about her comfort you'd done this. Aren't you thankful for a good mother? Well, Jesus, the Trinity, the, our Father, the Spirit of God, that compassion for us is infinite. And you can honestly, if you'll get your eyes off of everything else, he will reveal himself as I am that I am. And I am compassionate. I am merciful. And honestly, I've had many a time where I just have sensed, just like a mother cradles her child. There have been times, and I'm sure you have too, where you just have to stop and weep. And you just sense he's right there. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Just like a mother caresses the face of her child, though you don't feel it physically, you sense he cares even more than that. And you know what's tragic to me? Some Christians that are so enamored by the world don't ever really experience that. The Lord's trying to get there. He's trying to help. He's trying to bring the goodness of God to bring you to repentance. But you just see some Christians, they're not going the way of the world. They don't want to lose what they have in Jesus. And Oh, his heart was seen in the life of Christ, which I already mentioned. What a God. We need to have that same kind of compassion for one another. Oh, to see Christ's heart come through. See, Matthews was a warm-hearted evangelistic preacher, and he told him an experience he had during a revival meeting. In that community was a lost man that nobody could reach. Many preachers had tried to reach him. And one night before the revival uh, Brother Matthews and the pastor sat in the car with the man. He had sought to reach the lost man by explaining the plan of salvation to him, but to no avail. They had prayed so much for him, and all of a sudden, God broke his heart. And that compassion of God just flowed through him. And Brother Matthews, tears broke the man's resistance. And he received Christ and made a public profession that very night. This one, this all-powerful God that we cannot even view with our eyes wants to reveal his glory to us. He is the I am. He is a personal God, and he is full of compassion. He's also full of grace. He's gracious. We are completely undeserving of his favor. Um, everything we have is because of him. He is ready to do for us what we cannot do. The grace of God, Titus 2.11, that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, training us, working in us, disciplining us, to the, so that we can deny ungodliness and worldly lust, so that we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. My friends, there's not a problem that you have. There's not a weakness that you have. There's not a sin that's, over, that's coming into your life that God, who is the great I am, does not have the grace to meet that need and to transform your life. He is ready to impart to you because Christ won the victory, all the power of God to accomplish those matters in your life. Hopelessness is not from God. It's from the, from the devil. Hopelessness is looking at yourself. But when you look at God, he's ready. He'll pass by. He'll do better than that. He's in us. He's long-suffering. Now, God is a God of wrath, folks. 
hit me this morning as I was looking at the dear folks I mentioned hell. They wince. But one day, if they don't come to Christ, they'll be in torment that I cannot even explain, and it will never end. We can handle pain for a while. But God's justice demands penalty for sin, and God's wrath demands it. But God is very long-suffering, and uh, we need to be so thankful. And that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God is in, in control of us, um, then God will give us that very same spirit. Chrysostom, the early reformer, said that a patient man is one who, having the resources and opportunity to avenge himself, chooses to refrain from the exercise of these. That's by the power of God. And then we see an abundant, just with filled with goodness. There's that uh, uh, the Hebrew word kased, which has the idea of goodness or love. It's a loving kindness. It's all that you can think of in the goodness extended to someone else. And he is abundant in love. He truly wants the best for us. And because of that, we can fully trust him. And then he's abundant in truth. He is completely faithful. He will keep his word. Yeah. A dean at an American college discovered a woman for four years kept registering for the same course in algebra, and she had passed it the first time. He inquired of her, why are you doing that? Well, she said she was so tired of arguing with her neighbors about everything in the world that she wanted to study, something she couldn't argue about. And she said, mathematical computations certainly do not change. Two times two will, e will eternally be four, and that truth is authoritative as well as eternal. And she wanted something she could count on. Folks, you, have, you realize in your lap is all the truth you need that you can count on. It is abundant truth in every area. Isn't, you know, with all the uncertainties, isn't it wonderful to just know? We know what's going to happen. We know the rapture's coming. We understand about the tribulation. We can put the pieces together. Jesus is coming again at the second coming. We understand about the kingdom. We understand about the eternal state. We understand what God is doing today. We understand the nature of man. We understand the promises of God. That's our God. Keeping mercy. There's that same concept again as goodness. For thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and that, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children until the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my God, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and, and would you take us for an inheritance? And basically God has already said, Yes. You realize all of this is really intercession on the part of Moses. You see, because he knew God and because he knew the glory of God, because he understood these attributes and now in even a greater way, he was able to pray in a way that he knew that God would respond. 
And God did not destroy Israel. And God not only did not destroy Israel, but God actually went with Israel. And when the tabernacle, the actual tabernacle was formed and they had the dedication, what came down on that tabernacle? The glory of God, the very presence of God. And the Israelites knew that, that the Shekinah glory was in the Holy of Holies. And God went with them. One man, one man who knew God made the difference. Friends, I want you to get a hold of the fact you can make a difference for this community. You can make a difference for your family. You can make a difference in a person's life. You can make a difference in this country if you so know God that you know how to pray what he wants you to pray. If you understand his attributes, his characteristics, his glory, that becomes your heart. God's people can move heaven and earth because God can. Folks, every life here counts. And I'd like to just leave you with this. Can you do without the presence of God? Can you do without knowing his spiritual glory? Can you live life okay without it? I'd like you to ask yourself that question.